Hi everybody, my name is Joe Dini, and this is Legends of the Internet, Episode 3, DashCon. Hope everybody's doing great out there tonight. It is June 22nd, 2018. I am going to be pulling a solo show tonight because my co-hosts and I did a recording of DashCon already, but because of technical difficulties surrounding that recording, we had to nix it. So I am now here doing this by myself. You're still going to get the same content that you would have gotten if they were on here anyway, but it's just going to be right to the point. Maybe a couple of commentary from me, maybe not, but we'll see how it goes. So let's get right into it. This is DashCon. Whenever a bad event makes it on the news, some netizens would occasionally post comments like, this is almost as bad as DashCon, or could, or could this event be worse than DashCon? As if DashCon is the ultimate parameter for a poorly organized event. It was like a monster that loomed in the memory of every aspiring events organizer, or even seasoned events organizers today. Because even if the occasional blame fell on kids, sometimes the preferable term is immature when describing the organizers, because being inexperienced, in quotes, is forgivable, especially when it does not show in the event itself. While most folks online clueless about DashCon would be referred to, the video assembled by Internet Historian, there are so much more that happened at the unfortunate event that a closer look at everything that occurred based on articles that outrightly criticized DashCon as an event or analytical articles that try to pry if anything good ever came out of the event. Also, the identity of the anti-Semitic DashCon delegate still eludes me. Maybe because it is less about who he is and more about the social justice warrior delegates that attended the doomed fan conference. The fan conference, since this event was pitched online as by Tumblr fans, for Tumblr fans. Now, we're going to get into the preparations. DashCon was initially planned and announced in the middle of 2013 as TumbleCon USA, until some higher-ups from Tumblr itself asked the organizers to change the conference's name. While the bulk of the expected delegates will come from the Tumblr user base, Tumblr itself had nothing to do with it. So whose brainchild was this event? The confirmed organizers were from DashCon LLP, whose last known office address was in Hudson, Ohio, and owned by Roxanne Schweiderman and Meg Eli. They decided that the event will push through on the weekend of July 11th to July 13th of 2014 at the Renaissance Schlumberg Convention Center Hotel in Schlumberg, Illinois, with tickets priced at $60. Expected attendance is at 5,000 people. The organizers chose to concentrate on the biggest fandoms that gathered in Tumblr, like those who followed mainstream television programs like Supernatural, the Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock BBC series, and Doctor Who, among others, and podcasts like Welcome to Night Vale. Once the panels got round up, it then showed how this conference tried to be everything as if trying to cater to all fandoms. It got exposed to the risk of losing focus. With all the panels planned out, here's a list of all of those panels. This is according to an article by Jezebel.com. The first one 
was called Shipping 101. Now, anybody that doesn't know what the term shipping means, shipping is short for relationshipping. Basically, what that entails is you have two characters paired off like a love team. Most of the time, they get paired once it becomes evident in the story that they have a budding relationship, like uh, Bruce Banner and Nat in The Avengers. But based on the jargon provided, it really seemed to target the Tumblr fandom faithful. And since it involved that kind of relationship, it was tagged as a panel exclusive to delegates aged 18 years old and above. The second panel was called Can You Not, with not being spelled K-N-O-T. This was another panel for the 18 and above crowd. This intended to explore the Omegaverse, one of the subsets in the Tumblr fandom at that time, whose popularity was rising. It was 18 and above because it tackled an alternative universe where men get pregnant. So topics like gender roles, gender language, and the multiple gender system was going to be tackled. So the topic about LGBTQQIP2SAA+, falls here. Now, for anyone that doesn't know what that acronym stands for, it stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, intersex, pansexual, two-spirit, asexual, allies, and more. The panel will be composed of individuals that believe there are more than just two genders. So the third panel was called British Men with dot 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 cheekbones. The panel title alone gives you an idea that it's intended for thirsty panelists, but no, 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 no. Surprisingly, this panel is billed for the general patronage. It will discuss how most of the popular British actors are ones with the prominent cheekbones and whether the cheekbones escalated their sex appeal and overall charisma. Special mention ended up with David Tennant, who is of Doctor Who fame, Tom Hiddleston, who plays Loki in The Avengers, and Benedict Cumberbatch, who also plays Doctor Strange in The Avengers, and is also part of the whole Sherlock BBC series that he's most well known for. The next panel was called BDSM 101. Now, for those of you who don't know what BDSM stands for, it's Bondage, Domination, and Sadomasochism. This would hope to dispel the wrong perception about the entire subculture, and it's not clear of not of whether they were going to blame Fifty Shades of Grey for it, and because of the nature of the uh, actual conference, it was billed as for only 18 years and older. The next one, Hitalia Jeopardy. This was going to be a game based on the cult hit, Hitalia. Delegates' anticipation were heightened at the thought of winning prizes once they participated in this topic-specific approach to playing Jeopardy. Not just the story will be the subject of questions to be thrown out, but even the history behind Hetalia will serve as sources. And this was for everybody, not just adults. The next panel, Sherlock Fandom. This is one panel that may or may not be participated by the Baker Street Babes themselves. The Baker Street Babes hosted a feminist-themed podcast that discussed everything about the BBC version of Sherlock. Since it was plugged as a no-holds-barred panel, it was pitched for only adults. Other celebrities that were advertised to be showing up were the band Steam Powered Giraffe, the cast of the podcast Welcome to Night Vale for the reading session, 
Doug Jones, who is a Guillermo del Toro-used actor when it comes to being characters from Pan's Labyrinth, um, the Hellboy movies, and recently Shape of Water, which just won Best Picture. And the webcomic artist and New York Times bestselling author, Noelle Stevenson. She wrote the, uh, the book Nimona. So let's get to the actual event itself. Friday. Delicates start trickling in. And that is the point. It remained a trickle. Delicates showed up in cosplay. Some in cosplay, I should say. Not everybody. But by 9 o'clock in the morning, according to the internet historian, only 500 or so people arrived with nothing to do, since the conference didn't start until 1 in the afternoon. Once the event commenced, that was only when it was confirmed that Steam Powered Giraffe had already canceled their appearance months ago. And since the organizers have changed the rules on the then-existing DashCon website, delegates that paid the additional fee hoping to see the band lost their option for a refund. There was a games room. The expected audience was about 5,000 delegates. The games room only had one TV and one console. It had a ball pit, though. It looked like a kiddie pool, but instead of water, it was filled with balls. And most of the delegates that ended up using it were teenagers. It became obvious that while there were attendees that were adults, there were technically teenagers. So imagine like five or six teenagers in a kiddie pool filled with balls to pass off as a ball pit. Five or six teenagers with cosplay. The games room, according to a Tumblr blogger named Emma, who was also one of the delegates at DashCon, described it as, and I quote, It was aimed more at tabletop gaming, but it also had a TV with some console and a desktop computer. I mention this because people keep reblogging one picture with not many people there, and I can tell you there were actually people there sometimes. End quote. 9 p.m. approaches, and the cat's out of the bag. The bill for the hotel has not been paid. According to Jezebel, the organizers and the venue staff were clashing over unpaid fees. Jezebel.com, by the way. This led to the infamous donation drive, telling the attendees that if they did not raise $17,000, DashCon will be canceled. Now, before the DashCon website got taken down, the announcement read, and I quote, Hello, DashCon. Please help. The upper management of the hotel is threatening to shut down DashCon unless we give them $17,000 by 10 p.m. Central Time tonight. Please go to DashCon.org and click the donate button and give her anything you can. Unless we get this by tonight, everything is canceled. We suspect it's due to the fact that upper management doesn't like the people at the con. Please, please donate what you can. Thank you. We have an hour. Now, did they really have to say upper management doesn't like the people at the con? This might have been a ploy to anger some delegates enough to donate and portray the hotel staff as the evil villains. To quote one guy featured at the Internet Historian clip, he says, and I quote, I'm here at DashCon where we're about to get kicked down unless everyone in this room can accumulate $17,000. End quote. One of the organizers on stage was recorded parroting the same donation announcement on the website stating, and I quote, 
We currently have a donation button up on our website, and my and any little bit that like helps. End quote. One attendee asked, "Is cash accepted?" A girl in anime cosplay, perhaps one of the other organizers, replied, "Yes, we have a donation bag. So those who can't donate to PayPal but got cash on hand, dropped what they could to the said donation bag." In the middle of raising the funds, there was a projector. And it showed an excerpt from the Hunger Games movie. And it made and it, that made all the attendees perform the three-fingered salute. Late, later, attendees were chanting lines from high school musical. This is according to Wikipedia. It's not really sure which lines they were, but the, it was an excerpt that these chants got recorded, and then they got uploaded on several YouTube accounts for everyone to see. Someone was actually skeptic enough to say. This is extortion! And another attendee was shown parroting said comment. The clip was crucial for some YouTube content creators to prove that the fundraising was done with three-finger salute acts and H and high school musical chants, since there is still skepticism on whether DashCon really happened. It turned out that the attendees were egged on by the organizers on stage to do the three-finger salute, as if rubbing it in the hotel staff's face. It was clearly a protest, as if Renaissance Schlomberg Hotel was owned by Colonarius Snow. Or I think that's how you say his name. I'm not a Hunger Games fan, so uh, I've only watched, like, the last one that came out. And I, I only knew him as Snow, so I, didn't, I couldn't really understand his first name. But anyway, some of the quotes that made it online in the middle of the protest were, I hate the staff. How could they do this to us? And another one was, I'm not crying. I was just in the pool. Some attendees started asking help by tweeting one another. Tweet Misha Collins, the supernatural actress. Tweet John Green. Tweet Mark Ruffalo. It's like people are tweeting, tweet insert celebrity name here. Like that would help with their cause. The desperation was very strong. Once the money actually got raised, everyone started singing We Are the Champions by Queen. The delegates' attention had to be shifted to the rest of the panels to be held. And since some panels were for adults, according to Emma, a.k.a. at Journey to Gallifrey of Tumblr, and I quote, Licenses were checked at registration and 18-plus bracelets were put on the 18-plus people. They were those paper bracelets that they give you at events where you can't take them off without breaking them, and you had to either immediately put them in front of the staff member you had just shown your ID to, or just let them do it. The staff then upgraded the rules Thursday night and required people to show proof of age at the door of all 18-plus panels regardless of bracelets, end quote. It was not very obvious that the Wi-Fi was poor, as so much information had spread about DashCon. Emma, though, admitted that, and I quote, We broke the Wi-Fi. I have very few details about this, but honestly, more people were talking about this at the actual con than about the 17K, Night Vale, or the Ball Pit. People staying in the DashCon block were supposed to have free Wi-Fi in the rooms, as well as in the convention spaces, but I think there were so many of us that the system crashed. Emma also mentioned one of the panels was labeled as homoerotic subtext that was described in a way on the schedule that made it seem if it was going to be extremely fetishistic and problematic. 
That description was not written by the panelists, who turned out to be a bisexual woman, an asexual woman, and a gay Latino man. Yes, Mark Oshiro. His panel about LGBTQQI2SAA+, was not taken down. Emma continued how the panel description on schedule was misleading, and the panel ended up discussing race politics, the lack of fem-slash-representation, and issues of queer baiting. Emma then provided a link to the write-up by Sarah of bisexual books, that's trademarked, about the panel that occurred. Here's what Sarah wrote, and I quote, I want to thank everyone who is a part of the homoerotic subtext panel today, June 12, 2014, at DashCon. This was standing room only people turned away because the room was full. I was amazed. I really wasn't sure if we would get more than the 20-some friends I peer pressured into attending, so the turnout was a beautiful surprise. My friends who are not at the con have told me that people are saying some weird stuff on Tumblr about this panel. But let me make it clear. If someone came to this panel expecting doe-eyed fanning over cis gay white chips, wow, did they come to the wrong place. Speaking about the good, the bad, and the ugly of subtext, shipping, fan works, bi, ace, pan invisibility, the lack of trans characters, the green bean bullshit that is queer baiting, the lack of people of color, the political responsibilities when straight people write male on male, the pervasive sexism in fandom and media, the lack of femi-slash, the lack of good female characters to ship, and where to find actual representation, end quote. In short, those are all keywords associated with social justice warriors. Unfortunately, the Prezi link for the slideshow presentation used in the panel died. The write-up is still up, though, on bisexualbooks.com. Sarah goes on to say again, and I quote, Personally, I want to thank Mark and Sasha for making this one of the best queer public experiences of my life. I'll be frank, I worked my ass off on this presentation, and it has been in careful planning for months. I was supposed to present it with another queer woman that was in a car accident last week. She was not able to come, and the Dashcon admins found me, Mark, and Sasha last minute, but we totally gelled. I think we all understood the need for this panel to be real to queerness, to praise those things worth praising, and call out the things that are fucked. It was amazing to get up there to educate, discuss, laugh, and speak my truth as a bisexual woman. It was amazing to be part of this talented queer team. And it was beautiful to have 200 plus people sit quietly and really listen to queer people talking about these things. Afterwards, I had people clamoring to talking to me in the hall, thanking me for not sugarcoating it or saying it totally opened their eyes. I had to drag myself away from the crowd because I was starving. I have no words adequate enough to express my gratitude. I am humbled and I am wowed. So thank you, Mark and Sasha. Thank you to everyone who came. And thank you to DashCon for making this experience so wonderful. End quote. The next day, artists and storeholders have set up shop, paying $150 each for their tables. They can't sell anything because the attendees had donated all of their money to DashCon. This is when some delegates started speculating on the funds raised and started calling DashCon a scam. They then tried to shut down certain events like the panel participated by 
Mark Oshiro, a.k.a. Mark Does Stuff of Tumblr. Some of the attendees claimed that he's actually a straight white man as opposed to how he introduced himself as a gay Hispanic man who was out to profit off the gay culture. These folks went as far as sending him death threats in the event to stop the panel from even pushing through. There were events that went forward, much to the fans' relief. Doug Jones actually showed up to meet his fans, who, like I said earlier, was the guy that was in all the Gleam of Del Toro movies and was in The Shape of Water. Noelle Stevenson got to meet fans, too. She even got to moderate her own panel, albeit accidentally since the original moderator for her panel didn't show up. In fact, according to Ginger Hayes herself, and this isn't a tweet, and I quote, no moderator showed up for our featured artist panel, so I moderated it myself. And less than 24 hours after the tweet, this is what Noel had uh, tweeted out, and I quote, Sorry, Dashcon, I'm ducking out early. You've all been great. I most likely won't able to make it to the panel tomorrow. I'm sorry. Found out I'm footing the bill for my own hotel room after all, so that's cool. Not surprised, to be honest. Other events like the Pacific Rim film showing and the Dr. Horrible sing-along were both canceled for copyright reasons, meaning no one had reached out to either copyright holders to use their content for DashCon. So many things not happening and the people who attended stayed. Why? As long as they got to listen to the live reading of Welcome to Night Vale, then the stress might be worth it. The key word being might. The live reading was supposed to start at noon on Saturday, on that Saturday. Those who were waiting eagerly in the main hall were wondering why 50 minutes had already passed and still nothing had started. The cast had not yet showed up on stage. Shortly, one of the organizers, Roxanne Schweiter, went on the podium and confirmed, Night Vale, uh, just walked. The frustration in the crowd was evident with their grunts. It worsened when said person tried to make the crowd sigh out their frustrations. We're going to sigh together now, okay? One, two, ha. Some of them did. One of them was audible enough to be heard telling the organizer, Give me back my money! The Welcome to Night Vale crew, who consist of Jeffrey Craner, Joseph Fink, and Cecile Baldwin, were professional enough to post an apology on their Tumblr account, at Happier Man, on why they walked out. And I quote, The organizers of an event we were scheduled to be part of today were unable to pay for our flights, hotel, or performance fee. We tried very hard to make this happen. We took a full break in the middle of our July tour to attend this small fan-based event. We paid for our own hotel and plane fare, and we were very excited to be part of this intimate fan gathering. But after a morning of discussion, organizers were unable to pay for the costs of travel and performing. We are disappointed that things were not worked out in a timely manner and that we could not perform for our fans. We hope to be back in the Chicago area soon. Thank you for your understanding. You as fans deserve better than this. End quote. This prompted the organizers to change the rules on the website again, stating... DashCon will not refund badges or reserved Welcome to Nightville seats for any reason. So instead of a refund, those who paid extra for the Welcome to Nightville reading are given an extra hour in the ball pit. 
This gave birth to the ball pit meme. Canceled segments, canceled live reading, and an extra hour in the ball pit. All for $17,000. Roxanne Schweider tweeted a picture of herself in tears after some folks expressed their disbelief that she and her crew were sorry for everything wrong that happened. The tweet that accompanied the photo read, and I quote, At Gio the bio, no, like this is legit me crying. You can see me in person if you'd like, end quote. So what I'm about to read is from an article entitled Dashcan 2014, Interview with Organizers. So this took, all took place, it, this interview was conducted after Dashcon itself featuring the founders, or the so-called founders, I should say. It seemed like this was an article intended for damage control. Um, the interview was conducted by Drew Balak. Not sure if that's a pen name or his actual real name. Most of the answers came from Meg Eli. So, Drew asks, What was the process of planning this event? Meg answers, Well, it isn't quite that straightforward. The process developed as time went on, getting slightly better with each evolution. In the very beginning, as best I know, since it was before I was involved, it was really just a large group of people sort of think-tanking about this thing they thought would be cool. There were fandom communities whose job was still unclear. There was a fundraising effort there, but I do admit it went fairly poorly. A lot of them ended up dropping out or being weeded out as planning continued because, to be quite honest, despite their best intentions and hard work, most of them had no idea how to go from concept to reality. Slowly, the large group was distilled down to fewer and fewer people, but most of them shared a really strong desire to see this happen and had the work ethic we needed. I implemented as much structure as I could, despite often running into roadblocks. After all, at the time, I was in a 50-50 partnership that didn't have the luxury of a majority. But that aside, we brought in a company called Experient in the fairly early days, and they helped us reach out to venues and hotels, event service companies, etc. They were incredibly integral to getting us as far as we got. Contracts were signed, and maybe surprisingly, a lot of payments were made. In the process of dividing up labor internally, though, it was difficult to get everyone on the same page sometimes. We had to trust one another, and we were all like eight hours away from each other. We had to do everything right, and obviously somewhere along the line, that stopped working. So regardless, I spent most of my time staffing volunteers and panelists, making schedules, writing a murder mystery game, and an assortment of other random duties. I worked very closely with our admins and support staff, and that took up the vast majority of my planning time. Contracts were handled elsewhere, and I've never so desperately regretted a decision. I don't know if that answered your question, unfortunately, but the process was a bit more convoluted than I would have liked from the very start. If you want a more specific answer about planning, you might want to rephrase the question itself to be more specific. This was a very long address process that started in early 2013. So, so Drew tried to rephrase the answer. And this is what he said. As a convention organizer myself, I can understand the process. It pains me to say that the team always starts off huge and ends up with just a handful running the event. And this is how Meg replied. 
Exactly that. Yes, but during the event, we had picked up several people who we can't wait to add to staff. They're tried and true workers who can definitely handle stress. And having an already stress-tested team is awesome. So Drew seemed unfamiliar with Experian based on this question that he asked. The company Exper Experian, are they considered a PR firm or just a firm that makes connections for things like conventions? Meg's answer. Experian is a meeting, planning, and event management company and leads the industry as one of the best known and most respected brands in the world. You can read more about them and they provide a website, but I'm not going to reveal it here. But it is worth noting, no section was set up to show Experian's previous clients or any other high-profile events that it had organized. So no way to verify Meg's claim that Experian took part in organizing DashCon. I don't believe we use them to the best of our ability and we'll be employing more of their services in future years. Drew's next question. With the recent situation with all the bad press, is DashCon looking into getting a PR representative if it did not already have one? Meg's answer. We didn't have one for 2014. And I'm going to let Kane speak to the future of that sort of newly developed department. Now, who's Kane, you might be asking? Well, Kane Hopkins was initially introduced in the article as the owner that came in as an owner after uh, Meg did. He tried to continue where Meg left off in the interview. Actually, Drew, we already have added one to staff, and we are also in the talks with another PR representative that we are looking to bring on for future events as well. With an entity as big as ours, and especially with how many people we've reached over the course of the weekend, Meg and I both agreed that a PR team, if you will, will be more appropriate than a single representative. These individuals are coming into this situation with full knowledge of what has transpired and are more than equipped to handle situations like ours. Furthermore, they are people we know and trust. So Drew appreciated that answer. But since he wasn't satisfied with Meg's answer, he tried to rephrase the question. If you would allow me to backtrack a little, Meg, you had stated that over the course of the planning, committees were formed, then just fell off the face of the earth. You also spoke of how you already have many people who are interested in helping with staff in 2015. Now, without naming names, could you give a rough estimate of how many staffers were let go during the planning stages and if any at all were let go after the convention? Meg's answer. We started with roughly 22 committees of about 5 to 7 people plus an admin team of 7 or so. Sorry for the lack of specific numbers, as much of this was before my time. Once I was brought in, we began asking that committees prove their use via a few fairly simple tasks, and those that didn't were cut. In the end, there were probably only about 5 or 6 com committees left, and most of them only had 1 to 3 members in total. Some of that group still didn't make it to the actual event for one reason or another. The admin team went through multiple turnovers, losing an estimated 10 or so people along the way. When our event went live, our upper management consisted of three owners and three admins. Post-event, there are now two owners, Kane and myself, and one admin, Angela. The others were either let go or stepped down when the stress of the event proved to be too much. I can tell you that the third owner was explicitly terminated. Despite the negative publicity that DashCon 2014 received, there is still a perception, and there will be, DashCon 2015 based on the next question that Drew asked.
and this is Drew's question. Would you both agree that the weeding out of the communities and of the upper staff management, thus streamlining the process, will produce a good working environment and thus a good product for DashCon 2015? Meg's answer. Absolutely. Distilling our group down to those who are willing, ready, and capable of working under high-stress situations is the key to making our event a success in future years. Those of us who remain are looking forward to a much more open, honest, and transparent environment where information is shared freely and we are all acceptable to one another. So Drew asked this question. Let's move to the event on Friday night, which is one of the big elephants in the room. Can you tell me just what you were feeling when you found out what the hotel was demanding? Also, after this experience, will you be looking over the contracts with your hotel for 2015 to make sure there will be no amendments made by the host hotel? Meg's answer was long to the point of vague, but she says this. As for me, I won't say I never looked at the contract. However, I only looked over it at signing and wasn't in charge of handling it from there on out. What the hotel was demanding was, as we've come to learn, well within their contractual rights. There were a number of oral changes made, and I deeply regret the lack of documentation there. However, we've already been in touch with our 2015 venue, which is actually the Indianapolis Convention Center, rather than a hotel, and reread over that contract as well. The payment structure is very accommodating and easy to follow with 100% of the rental paid for a full 30 days prior to the event. We're all on the same page with a chain of invoices that clearly outline when and how to pay them, with all at-event services being due after the event closes. Regarding how we felt in the morning on Friday night, I personally felt betrayed and upset. I was given misinformation about the reasons the demands were being made, and that misinformation was deeply unsettling. Both Kane and I were led to believe that the hotel had made certain remarks about the type of clientele we brought in, very judgmental things about our attendees, and that was the reason they were trying to force us out. Of course, I've since learned that none of that was true, and I've apologized to the hotel endlessly, both privately and publicly. I'm happy to report that we still have a great working relationship with the Renaissance Schlomberg, including their staff and management. And no one is harboring hard feelings about the things that were said during the panic. In fact, we've since learned that they consider our group one of the most fun, energetic, and respectful groups they've ever had the pleasure of hosting. The only reason they were so accommodating from the start is because they loved having us there, and despite everything, we loved being there. Now that was Meg's side of the story. Now here's Kane's side of the story. For me personally, I was actually getting ready for a panel. I was set to be playing Gamesy Makara in the Let Me Tell You About Homestuck panel. That's when I received a call from our former partner informing me that I needed to report to the staff office immediately. When I asked what was going on, she stated that it was an emergency that cannot be discussed over the phone. Obviously, upon hearing this, I dialed up Meg and asked what was going on, to which I was told roughly the same thing, with the exception of being performed it was a situation pertaining to the hotel. It was then I asked if it would be better for me to forego the panel and help address the issue, or if I was still to do the panel. I was told to continue getting ready for the panel and that my doing the panel was not going to make things any worse than they were. I then proceeded to make my way rather quickly downstairs to the staff office, only to be told that the hotel did not like our attendees, so had basically redacted on their oral arrangement they established with our former business partner 
and they were fixing to kick us out unless we were able to come up with the rest of the money in order to pay them the $20,000. We later found out that the hotel had made no such claim towards our attendees, and in fact, were delighted to have them there as guests. At the time, though, I was devastated and heartbroken. I know firsthand what it's like to be judged primarily upon your appearance. So the thought that this was because our attendees were not in formal attire or did not look professional enough devastated me. I was angry and confused, but had to go and perform my panel regardless of my emotional state. After the panel ended, I made my way back to the staff office only to then be told that staff members were being kicked out of their rooms. Quickly, we made our way upstairs. I jumped in the shower to remove what pain I could and changed into proper attire. I then went to Meg and we gather everyone in the ballroom to inform our attendees of the situation. I felt as though they had a right to know and if anyone was going to help us out of this crisis, it would be the people who cared and had supported us all along. She gave me the green light and I went about gathering volunteers to go and clear out panel rooms and direct everyone into the ballroom for an emergency announcement. Distraught would be the closest word I can say as to how I was feeling at that point in time. That and furious. I have spent nearly every waking moment since February with Meg working on things for DashCon. And the idea of all of our hard work going to waste was nothing short of heart-wrenching. After everyone gathered in the ballroom, I made the announcement to our attendees. Based on the information I had been supplied, I was astonished to see the amount of support and concern that came from those who were there. Within 45 minutes of the announcement, we had the money just in the nick of time. We are still astonished by the outpouring of support for us, and in times like these, they are the only things that keep us going. As for moving forward, I can already tell you we are in a far better position for 2015 than 2014. We have addressed and removed the issues that made 2014 so difficult, and we are not looking back. We have learned so much from our mistakes and are carrying that information into planning our own events. So the question is, and by the way, that was an end quote. <laughs> so the question is, was there a plan for DashCon 2015? So this is an excerpt from the Tumblr blog post entitled, So Whatever Happened to the DashCon Team? Or How the DashCon Team Managed to Accumulate Another $120,000 in Debt While Trying to Run a Second Convention in 2014. So... Everyone remembered what happened at DashCon 2014. Meg and Kane headed a team that left their last venue thousands of dollars in debt because of incompetence and mismanagement. They treated their organized guests abysmally, then called Welcome to Night Vale actual trash and special snowflakes and said that Ginger Hayes deserved to be treated badly because why should they pay her for letting them down? They changed the rules halfway through to ensure that attendees wouldn't be able to seek reimbursement for the failed Welcome to Night Vale panel after DashCon failed to cover their transportation and performance fees. They yet to reply to the charity Random Acts after they denied any involvement with DashCon and asked for an account of all the money that was raised. They treated volunteers so badly that they left early for mental health reasons. They encouraged underage attendees to throw physical money into a bag being passed around the room. They tried to blame 4chan for DashCon's poor reputation. They ran an Indiegogo campaign in 2013 that promised donors a range of prizes, 
None of these were sent out, and some were actually used as prizes at the convention itself. They changed the descriptions for panels without panelists' consent. They may have potentially stolen art to use in their banner. Their Dashcon emoticon staff claims that Roxanne was not at the Dashcon farewell panel, despite photographic evidence that said otherwise. Their eyewitness accounts show that Kane and Angela drank themselves unconsciously at Dashcon, while Roxanne and the other volunteers set up registration and volunteer training, and that the alcohol was supplied by another one of Emoticon's staff. Meg Eli made herself an official guest at Dashcon for writing fanfiction and doing traced art, while a rundown on failed fandom Anon supports what other people have said, that Meg was paying herself a salary from Dashcon funds. Megan Kane did a puff piece explanation interview that blamed everyone but themselves for what happened. While Roxanne Schweiderman was the only admin trying to get shit done, despite the fact that Megan Chan tried to fire Roxanne even before Dashcon even started, they produced a terribly written contract that they claimed was written by their lawyers that would have supposedly demoted Roxanne to secretary if Roxanne had agreed to sign it. Roxanne was busy organizing registration and training volunteers while Megan Kane Roth pretending to be lawyers. Following Dashcon, Megan Kane decided to run a second convention. This was called Emoticon Indie. Despite the fact that the date and venue set for Emoticon 2015 was exactly the same as initially set for Dashcon 2015. The Indianapolis Convention Center having the details for Emoticon 2015, but they still linked the now-defunct Dashcon website. They had two of the three Dashcon admins in charge, Meg and Kane. There, were, there being little to no difference between the Dashcon website and the Emoticon website, despite being listed on anime cons as formerly Dashcon, and despite being exposed on the Daily Dot as being just Dashcon in all but name. And here's where things get really fucked up. At first, there were the usual issues. Emoticon Indie used people in their marketing without their permission. They didn't have the support of at least one of the websites they claimed to cater to. They tried to entice back Dashcon panelists, including people who weren't involved, and people who were forced to threaten legal action for non-payment of services. They outright banned anyone at all from posting on their Facebook wall after being inundated with people trying to organize compensation after being shafted by their first convention. They deleted comments on their Facebook page, left, right, and center, and their Tumblr page in order to avoid taking responsibility for their previous incompetency. They took their private policy from League of Legends. They... They spurlunked their early bird party with ball pit themed bracelets for a whopping $40 despite not having any sort of schedule or guest list. They offered early tickets until September 20th, but extended it to a limited time only because no one bought any. They were staffed by a new team of 20-something college students with almost no experience who are stalking people's blogs. So far, not so good. So this new team begins to fall apart almost immediately. So, somebody that was Emoticon sponsorship and vendor coordinator did this. He harassed someone into having a panic attack 
and begged people to stop asking questions. He made a post defending blackface and cultural appropriation via cosplay, so long as you're doing it as an act of admiration and respect. He defended Gamergate and downplays violence against women because most of the people Gamergate attacks are being pretty horrible. He doesn't like being shown how prevalent male-on-female street harassment is and believes that it's a concerted attack on men. He dislikes campaigns aimed at encouraging men to express their emotions in a healthy way, and he believes that we should talk more about how it's women who create a culture of toxic masculinity. And he dislikes it when feminists make fun of not all men because it's very belittling and assumes the worst of a group you're already blaming all your problems on. Emoticon finally removes all references to their sponsorship vendor coordinator's contract contact details after his behavior online, despite him claiming to have quit as sponsorship coordinator months ago. So this is when it all came to a head. Meg responds to an a Q&A regarding the unprofessional behavior of Emoticon staff by saying that the narrow-mindedness of some people is baffling and that you, in particular, can take your assumptions and go suck a bag of dicks. Meg makes a semi-official uh, post on her Fan Trolls Anonymous blog where she continues to blame others for her own mistakes and dismisses a Dashcon volunteer's panic attack because they only spent about 24 hours at the actual event. Meg claims that her technical business verbiage has been placed in the top 1% by veterans in, her, in our field. This was actually said in relation to a set of convention rules that Roxanne actually wrote. Emoticon Indie 2015 got canceled due to lack of ticket sales and complaints about staff behavior. The speed which May claims to have issued refunds indicates that ticket sales were abysmally low. Nick Harkins, that was the name of the volunteer coordinator for Emoticon, and legitimately the guy that I mentioned previously said all those terrible things, was genuinely honest to God trying to convince people that Emoticon was canceled because all the people who expressed genuine concern were in so much danger and it just didn't seem safe. Nick tries to respond to legit criticisms and does an absolutely terrible job at doing it. So where is everybody that was involved in DashCon now? Well, Megan Kane have been dropped by their lawyer after refusing to respond to legal communication. Meg filed for bankruptcy. She lost her job at Renaissance Dental. Her ex-husband has had to contact mutual friends to get Meg's shit removed from his property because she won't organize anything. She got dropped by her lawyers after refusing to respond to legal communication, and she's currently mooching off her fellow Dashcon admin Kane while dating his ex, who is over a decade younger than her. Kane is legally banned from all Walmarts in the region after being caught shoplifting. Kane claims to have been accepted into an Ivy League college despite being nowhere near it. Meg and Kane are sitting on Dashcon's assets in an attempt to prevent Roxanne issuing refunds. Dashcon creditors are yet to be refunded despite the November 27th deadline passing, and Meg and Kane may still be trying to pocket money from official Dashcon merchandise sales. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is the entire story of Dashcon. You know, it goes to show, and before 
the recording got the technical difficulties. I could remember Pliny saying something along the lines of, well, maybe we shouldn't be judging these people because they actually ran a convention. And I remember some of us said, well, it doesn't matter if it's a convention or not. It's still planning and it's still marketing and it's business. I mean, everybody goes through this. We live in a society where or we, we humans, human beings live in a culture where we have to plan things, certain events, concerts, TV shows, movies, all forms of entertainment, all forms of political advertisement, all political campaigns, everything. People are experienced in that field. And it didn't seem like these guys had any experience whatsoever. Now, as time went on, obviously it all went to shit after that. But the fact that you planned it so terribly, the fact that you had so many people and it just got whittled down to so little, and yet people back and forth just didn't take it as seriously. It was just a, it was just a way for people to have fun. I think they just wanted to be in a place where everybody could just party and get to meet each other. Not realizing, of course, that there were responsibilities to be had, and they just weren't responsible for it. And then, according to other people, they try to blame everyone else but themselves and not taking accountability for any of the stuff that happened. You know, usually, when an event goes wrong, it's usually on the people that organize the event, not the actual people surrounding it. And unless, of course, circumstances came up that totally ruined it beyond their control. That's the only exception. And... You know, for me personally, I used to work in a place where we would organize a holiday party. And usually we would come up with some ideas, and then one of the guys that I was actually partners with, he took care of all the organizing. And he was really good at it. I mean, obviously he organized events before, he organized charity runs. I mean, he was a pretty good planner and an organizer. So I knew that we could trust him to do, get it done. And it turned out great. We had a little scavenger hunt. And then after the scavenger hunt was over, everybody got together at this little restaurant in the downtown area. And we all had pizza. We all had Italian. We gave out a raffle prize to anybody that got a certain lottery ticket. They got a couple, uh, I think it was a cash prize, I believe. And we also ran a costume contest the previous day at at our workplace. We it was around Christmas time. It was a holiday party. So we had an ugly sweater contest and whoever won the ugliest sweater contest got a prize. So we organized prizes for all the coworkers and we gave them food. Everybody got to meet their significant others. Everybody got to see people that they haven't seen in a while. People even got to know people from upstairs. I mean, it was a two-story building. Everybody got to do it and they come to us at the end and said this is like one of the best events you guys organize. So we decided to do one the next year. A little bit different. Didn't go to a restaurant or anything like that. We held it in one of our other studios. We had two studios. So the main studio was used for live news. So we organized something where it was just in the in the second studio. And so we got music. We got we got we we had the lights production done. We just put a couple of tables up. We did our Secret Santas. We did a Secret Santa that year. We had like the whole table set up for all the names that just wanted to have a Secret Santa. 
we brought in a, a specific uh, catering company that catered all types of food. They came around and they had waiters come around and they served snacks to everybody. Everybody had food. Everybody got to have drinks. There were drinks there. They had somebody that made drinks for everybody. It was the top of the walk. I mean, it was awesome. Everybody had a fun time and it was safe at the station. So in case you had to go back to your desk, okay, you didn't have to worry about, you know, getting, you didn't have to worry about drinking too much or eating enough food. If you didn't feel like you didn't want to go to the party, you didn't have to go, but it was right there. And people, again, people have said that they enjoyed it. Not as good as the first one, but they enjoyed it. You know, sequels are always tough to top. So two successful plans that I was a part of. And I could say with all certainty, planning is everything. And you have to have someone that's passionate enough and is going to get shit done. And there was only like one person that really seemed to care, at least from one side of the story that I read, that was going to. And then it turned out that Roxanne didn't last. She wasn't there for the next one. And Emoticon got canceled even before it actually happened. So the lesson that we have to learn from this, if you're ever going to organize something, if you're ever going to plan anything, if you're really going to do anything, Make sure that you get it right. Make sure that you're on top of everything. Make sure that everything is going the way you need it to be. If there's a miscommunication from somebody, make sure that it is communicated through and through, even if you have to overdo it. And you know, a lot of times I still learn from doing that. You know, even the most organized people make mistakes. So, Learn from your mistakes. If something happens, okay, we know not to do it again. Next time we do a roll around, we won't do it. We won't do it again. We'll learn from it. It's something that was happening with this recording. I was gonna, I was supposed to have co-hosts, and apparently the communication didn't go through, and um, you know they didn't get the, they didn't get specific message about something, and we had technical difficulties because of it. But learn from that, and then keep going. Don't let that affect you too much. And as long as you get it right again, everything's going to be fine. I don't know how many of you out there ever plan to organize an event of any kind, but if you do, that's the type of stuff you need to do. And a lot of you are young, so, I mean, these guys, I mean, they, they tried to do it. They tried. And, of course, they made terrible mistakes, and it ultimately ended up ruining their life. It ended up ruining Meg's life, and it ended up ruining Kane's life. And I don't know, I don't even know like what how they're going to go forward with with the stuff. They prob they'll they'll probably be all right, but yeah, them doing the stuff that they did. I mean, I know some people it's going to be tough to forgive them for anything. But time time heals all wounds. And who knows, they might turn around. They might come back and say, "Hey, you know what? Let's do a convention, but this time let's do it right." So we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. So I'll leave you guys with that. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Sorry again that this was just a solo show, but again, learn from your mistakes. All the links are in the description box if you're listening on YouTube. If you're listening on any podcasting websites that we are accumulated with, Anchor, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, the Apple Podcasts, uh, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, 
All those different ones. We have so many, I can't even keep count of them. I want to thank you again for listening. Next time we go around, we're going to be talking about Elsagate. Uh, the guys that were with me for the Shadman episode, they're going to be coming back for that. Elsagate is known for making some very disturbing kids' cartoons on YouTube. And, yeah, that's all I can say for right now. But we'll reveal more as time goes on. So, until the next episode, thank you everybody for listening to Legends of the Internet DashCon, and we'll catch you guys for episode four, Legends of the Internet Elsa Gate. Have a good night, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your day.